Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. My name is Robert Morrison. I am a contributor at NinerNoise.com, and here with me to maybe undo the curse that we did um, during our last episode is Chris Wilson, another contributor at Niner Noise. Chris, uh, how you feeling, man? I am pretty good, my brother, all things considered. I'm just waiting to see, like every other NFL fan, what football is going to look like in 2020 it really hits you when you take a step back and remember in a normal year we'd be halfway through the preseason and we'd be getting hyped up for the big preseason week three dress rehearsal just makes you wonder why we were banging so hard on preseason football give me some Uh, it's just crazy times and in all reality football doesn't even register on the 2020 crazy time scale (laughs) but i think the u.s could really benefit from the normalcy of some nfl football and you know like 19 win 49ers season yeah so i keep hearing about this 49ers curse you speak of i'm just glad that i took the last episode off so fellow contributor rory humphrey could join you to talk about his upcoming film piece on San Francisco 49ers stud linebacker Fred Warner. So look out for that article on Niner Noise in the next day or two. It's very good stuff. Back to this 49ers curse. You're going to have to clue me in on what it is you did. (laughs) And for the record, I was there blabbering on about who knows what, answering questions about hot dogs, you know, the huge (laughs) Actually, now that I think about it, let me think about how I can pawn our 49ers injury curse on Peter and his hot dog questions. But in the meantime, let the listeners know how we just ruined everything. Yeah, so it seems that Chris and I did some bad things. So on our last episode, which was the first of a series of mailbag episodes that we're going to continue today, which is good news, we talked about how the season was uneventful. 
And lo and behold, we cursed the entire 49ers franchise. You're like, oh, this is great. Nothing's going on this offseason. There were no injuries. And well, guess what? That didn't really work out. Yes, you speaketh the truth, my friend. And to be crystal clear, in no way were we complaining about a lack of 49ers news out of Santa Clara because outside of free agency in the draft, if you're getting a lot of off-season news, it's a lot more likely to be bad than good. Plus, from a selfish Niner Noise podcast standpoint, as our listeners very, very well know, we can easily bang out an hour long, maybe two or three hours, depending on whether Robert's able to use his superhuman powers to keep me relatively on track. So outside of the extensions for Lin Chan, all was relatively quiet out of headquarters where no news was good news. In fact, we were actually rather excited and that lack of news inspired us to implement this series of mailback episodes, which in turn caused 49ers offseason Armageddon. That's one of the reasons I've cut off posting this episode because I don't want it to result in a self-ban for the better of the franchise because I am in no way superstitious except when I totally am. So now that we've drawn out the suspense as long as humanly possible, tell them what they want, Johnny. <laughs> Chris, it's very strange. It seems like we have done something horribly wrong. So I'll just update us all on where we are. The 49ers offensive skill players, along with Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Mullins, AJ Beathard, and players like George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Kendrick Bourne, uh, Juan Jennings, Jalen Hurd, Trent Taylor, the whole group of them were uh, in Nashville, Tennessee to do a little uh, Camp Jimmy, throw the football, get some work in when they can't really do it at the team facility because of the virus and all the stuff that's going on. And that seems to have ruined everybody. Uh, so <laughs> everything was going well and everybody was really excited. There was stuff going on about how um, we were going to locate where the 49ers were. Kendrick Bourne accidentally left his location on his Instagram and sort of alerted <laughs> the uh, universe to their location. Uh, and everybody was, was excited. There was uh, scores of 49ers fans, including Chris and myself. Uh, we were planning road trips to Nashville to see if we could hunt them down. And now that's just, that's just not happening anymore. It seems that that is over as bad things have happened. The first of those bad things was the news that Debo Samuel broke his foot. It's that Henri Jones fracture. So that's not good. Samuel's already had the surgery. They said it went perfectly. They flew him up to Green Bay, Wisconsin to have that surgery. And he seems to be thinking that he'll be good to go within 10 to 12 weeks. 10 to 12 weeks would put him right before the start of the regular season. So that's not great news, but I guess if you got to hurt yourself, now's the time to do it. And then immediately after that, within like a couple of hours, it came out that wide receiver and kick returner Richie James had broken his wrist. Now, he was not with the rest of the group in Nashville. He hurt himself independently. So those who want to curse Nashville, it's not really Nashville's fault. The third thing, however, is probably Nashville's fault. And really, on the players for not being a little bit more careful. And the third thing that came out was, and this is all happening within 24 hours of each other, is that one of the 49ers players that was in Nashville, unnamed because they don't have to say who it is, has tested positive for COVID-19. The rest of the group went to get tested to ensure that they're okay. We haven't heard anything further about that. And I can't imagine that we'll ever get names or anything more than likely unless the player outs himself. So it's not good. It's not what you want. So Chris, any thoughts on that? 
As I'm sure you've heard, the 49ers briefly placed wideout Richie James on the NFL's brand new reserved COVID-19 list, which is used for players who either test positive or are quarantined because they were in close contact with somebody who tested positive. But, you know, we're never going to know which. Now, the good news is that he is now off the COVID list and back on the good old-fashioned NFI list, just like back in the day, as he heals up for what he hopes to be a week one return to action. Unfortunately for James, that's rather unlikely, unless the Niners just lose all of their wide receivers to injury, because even if he's healthy enough to play, he's probably going to end up on some type of injury list that'll allow him to return to action if the 49ers need him at some point this year. But as for week one, my guess is the ever-important victory formation backflipper job is up for grabs. And yes, just like you said, if a player catches COVID-19 this season or COVID-23 in a couple of years or whatever, and wants to let the press or the media know, well, it's their medical business, so that's fine. But if the team decides to disclose that medical information, well, that's probably illegal and it includes very expensive fines and any repeat or intentional offenders can expect a few decimal points to be moved, a couple of zeros added to that number, as well as some free uh, ruined board upstate. So hopefully that will not be an issue this season or any other season going forward. As for the actual injury news, well, the Debo injury just sucks. It's just the last thing that you want to happen to him in between his first and second year when he was just beginning to blow up and become a real threat in the NFL and now a player that many analysts compare rookie wide receivers to. And now he needs to rehab instead of perfecting his craft. It's just not an ideal situation. And along with that, it puts the 49ers in a very similar spot to where they were last year when they were forced to pick up Emmanuel Sanders in that trade with the Broncos that you love so much. However, this year, Lynch and Shanahan have opted for the proactive approach instead of the wait until mid-October approach to address the Niners' likely pending receiving problem. So the Niners began by signing part-time tight end, full-time concussion king, (laughs) Jordan Reed, who, if you can believe it, used to play for Shanahan in Washington. And if you have a good memory, you'll remember that when healthy, Reed has been one of the best receiving tight ends in the game. Unfortunately, he's just never been able to stay healthy for more than a few games at a time. In all seriousness, he really does have a bad concussion problem and hasn't played since getting concussed last preseason. So, 49ers, please invest in some extra bubble wrap for this guy's helmet because he'll be good for at least 500 yards through the air, even if he ends up missing a handful of games. 
just remember that Reed's NFL career will probably end due to a concussion and maybe his next concussion. So just realize that he could be a a very short-term solution. After signing Reed, Lynchahan pivoted back to the wideout position where they looked to add a Shanahan-style receiver, but on the cheap. So we're talking A, tiny, B, blazing fast, and C, a general lack of productivity despite previous high expectations. Two players on the market fit the bill. Number one, Tavon Austin. You know him. Former Rams first rounder, very, very high expectations, none of which were met. And a player who was listed as a running back for the Cowboys over the last two seasons. 5'8", check. 4'3", speed, check. A couple rushes, a couple receptions, a couple kick returns, a couple punt returns, a whole lot of nothing, check. Number two, J.J. Nelson. Another guy we're familiar with. The former Cardinal, who went full-blown Dante Pettis, tallying seven catches in 2018 after a pair of 500-yard seasons before that. Nelson then went to the Raiders and looked like he was going to make somewhat of a contribution to the team, but got cut during their bye week because injuries just kept them off the field. 160 pounds? Check. For two speed, check. No production, double check. Despite the fact that he never coached either of these players, we have two perfect Shanahan receivers. Who do we choose? Well, the Niners didn't choose. Actually, they did choose. They just chose both of them. So the 49ers now have three new receiving targets, one tight end, and two wideouts. Or maybe one tight end, 1.5 wide receivers, and half a running back? Either way, the Niners now have three new players to help Jimmy keep the passing game flowing during Debo's recovery. And although this news broke post-recording, it must be spoken. The 49ers made a Huge splash by extending one of their existing players, the NFL's best and America's favorite, tight end George Kittle, for an additional five seasons of awesomeness in exchange for a whole lot of cash money. But we will save the gloriousness that is the Kittle extension for the next pod, where we'll be breaking down the Niners' passing game and each one of Jimmy's potential receiving targets. Unfortunately, that list of targets, once again, will not include Jalen Hurd, who will be missing the entire season after tearing his ACL. Hopefully one day we will get to see the youngster on the field for a regular season game. But it will not be in 2020. So, Trent Taylor, that slot job remains yours, probably now exclusively. So, please stay healthy. You can borrow some of Jordan Reed's bubble wrap if you need to. Because your third down 
slant routes are going to be a big part of whether the Niners are successful in 2020, especially for the beginning of the year. And to finish off this injury topic that I wish we had never been forced to begin, it's not like you have a lot of control over them, but we really need to find a way to get lucky and limit them going forward because we're really looking good there for the vast majority of the off season. And then what two to three weeks and we lose three players who are going to make the final 53. And now herd brings it up to four. And yes, I do include James in that list because like every year, He goes from weak bubble in June and July to making the roster in September. And I don't think this year would have been any different. While we know that injuries are inevitable in the game of football, even when we don't have a preseason this year, I'm putting you in charge of limiting them going forward because we went way too quickly from looking good to looking now we've had the injuries to Samuel and to Richie James and the DJ Reed injury, which is you know, a little lesser thing, but still you know pretty important. He's a key depth piece. And I know this will blow your mind, but the Seattle Seahawks were the team that rummaged through the Niners' trash bin to pick up Reed. And no hate on Reed. I was really sad to see him go. But it's just sort of lame that the Niners' biggest rival picked up Reed although they probably never intend to use him since the team rarely leaves their base defense and Reed isn't supposed to be back until maybe December. They probably just brought him on board to pick his brain, as they usually do. So if that is the case, hopefully Reed scored himself a pretty decent signing bonus. And in the end, the joke will be on Pete Carroll and the Seahawks because... Reed will just basically be able to tell them to do their best wide receiver because extensive game planning against top wideouts like really is nothing we do in San Francisco. <laughs> but aside from the plethora of injuries the 49ers roster has endured over the last few weeks, I know that there is one piece of very key information that you would like to discuss with our listeners. The biggest thing to come out is that budding superstar, maybe, I don't know, 49ers running back Raheem Mostert through his agent had requested a trade from the 49ers after pay raise talks have basically gone awry, according to the agent. It seems a little strange. It's understandable to a certain extent that Mostert, who signed a contract before last season, um, a three-year extension for somewhere in the neighborhood of like eight and a half million dollars. But he signed that as a core special teamer and reserve running back. And it kind of looks like he's going to be not really a bell cow because Shanahan doesn't really do bell cow, but he is going to be a, a key member of that backfield. And so he wants some money to reflect that, get him somewhere in the neighborhood of what Tevin Coleman is making for this year. But it is sort of a little bit problematic. Problem is that the Niners can't really be in 
the habit of saying, oh, well, we signed you to this deal a year ago, and now you have two years left in that deal, and now we're going to rip that up and start again. Because the problem is that you're going to start setting that precedent, and people are going to be like, well, you did that for Mostert, or you did this, and you did that. And it just doesn't set right with me. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are, Chris. I'll preface my thoughts with the fact that this never happens and especially with an NFL running back. And no way under these types of circumstances. Passing on a one-year tender and then requesting to be locked into a long-term contract for a whole lot more money. Then, with a cashed signing bonus in your account, coming back after rushing for 700 yards and demanding the key that will unlock you from that contract. And there are only two options. One, pay me like a player that's overpaid. And two, trade me to some unknown entity that may not even exist. So you can probably tell where I'm going with this and how I felt when I first heard the news. Well, my first thought was, is there some new summer version of April Fool's that I don't know about? And my second thought was, is this a bad episode of Ballers? And my thoughts really just got worse from there. So there's a lot of blame to hand out. And it's going to be quite interesting to see what happens the next time a player signs a multi-year contract and then just comes back the next year to ask for another one. But I will wait till you're done. And at least we do have our number one running back for another couple of years at least until he demands to be traded again or Shandy decides he doesn't like him anymore. It feels like a little bit of a dangerous precedent to set. And while I understand Mostert wanting more money, and while I do think that he played well enough at the tail end of last season to earn some more money, I think you have to be really careful. So what are your thoughts on that? Wow. Straight up, I am absolutely shocked you would provide me with such an amazingly open-ended question for which I have, as usual, quite strong opinions. However, I will really, and I mean really, try not to take advantage of that before failing horribly, but hopefully also admirably. As for my thoughts, I'm going to divide them into two sections, and I can already tell that you're getting really scared, but I promise the sections won't be long. Well, I at least promise that the first section won't be long because it's just really one thought. And let's just get this one out of the way so I can't take advantage of it later. And plus, it's a lot more general, and it's not just most specific. My first thought is more of a message to Niner fans. As we all know, the 49ers faithful roll hard. Whether it be in opposing stadiums, taking over tailgates, on the streets, and on the internet. So I hope each one of you will continue to spend anywhere between 24 to 28 hours a day on Twitter, repping your team and showing off highlights. And that's absolutely fantastic, especially when you're making sure to spend any remaining free time on NinerNoise.com, 
However, please, and perhaps even pretty please, do me this this one small favor. Stop hashtagging pay player X or sign player X in every one of your tweets. Just stop it, please. All Niners fans want the elite players and playmakers on the 49ers roster. For example, the NFL's undisputed top tight end, George Kittle, back next year and the next year and the next year after that, and pretty much as long as I'm alive. But the constant hashtags are not helping outside of maybe your character count. Because Kittle already knows where he stands with the Niners fan base. We love him. So instead of complaining about a potential upcoming issue, which is unlikely to ever become a real problem, just this once, do as I do. And wait until the front office actually screws something up before telling them that they screwed up and how they screwed up. And don't worry, you'll have lots of opportunities in the future to do so. But finally, as a public service announcement for all the, the children's out there, our precious 49ers faithful of the future, while I strongly feel that you should do as I do in this situation, I in no way recommend that you do as I do on a regular basis. Nor does fan-sided or Ninors or our sponsors or any sane individual, including Robert. So please realize that that recommendation is astoundingly astute and well-advised, but mine and mine alone, and specific to this situation. So please, my Niner friends, pay special attention to that PSA, which I think is necessary here. Because when you're diagnosed with some weird 49ers obsession, you know, the therapy is on you. Fan size not paying for it, not not either. Of course, our wise 49er fan base probably already knew this because they're smart enough to be fans of the San Francisco 49ers, the greatest franchise in the history of the NFL. But please just chill with the hashtagging. It's really just hurting more than it's helping. With that out of the way, my remaining section of thoughts is specific to the Raheem Mozart sitch and how it came to be, but in a very pared-down format since I'd love to discuss this roster face palm for hours and hours, mostly because it took a perfect combination of mistakes, failures, and or incompetence for it to happen. Yet, every Niner fan appears to be on Mostert's side as if he and his agent were just innocent bystanders wronged by the team during the whole process. So, for our Niner Noise podcast listeners, I'm going to drop some knowledge by handing out some blame in an easily digestible Cliff Notes format. First off, let's just get this right out of the way. I'm a very, very big Raheem Mostert fan, and I'm glad that we 
signed him in 16 and then 17 and I have been rooting for him the entire time and no one was cheering louder for him every time he touched the ball against Green Bay in the playoffs. He's just a perfect story from a guy who wasn't going to quit and made it in the NFL and it's a story I love and I'm very, very happy that he is a member of the Niners because he is far and away the best running back on that San Francisco 49ers roster going into 2020. From watching him play offense over the last three years, I would expect him to be, if he continues to play for Shanahan in you know, a 60-40 role, a major force in the 49ers offense and a player that defenses will have to game plan against, except for the Packers, of course, who are happy to be in the record books, however they get there. We can expect Mostert to be an overall asset for the team for at least the remainder of his contract, as long as he stays healthy like he did last year. At that point, he'll be 30 years old and given that his game is based on speed combined with what just happened, I assume that will be the end of his tenure in San Francisco. Despite my affinity for Mostert, I'm still going to give it to you straight and tell you that Mostert does shoulder a portion of the blame. While I don't know whether it was Mostert or his agent who wanted to renegotiate in the first place, I can't believe the trade request was Mostert's call. Lynch has said that his frustration over the whole matter was directed toward Mostert's agent for going public about the team's private negotiations and then demanding a trade on social media, which still just totally blows my mind. But Lynch also said they moved past it and there's no bad blood going forward. But there is, and there will be, and there should be. Maybe Lynch will have to deal with him again, but I wouldn't be shocked if Brett Tesler, agent to the stars of the undrafted, never sets foot inside 49ers headquarters ever again. After seeing Tesla's trade tweet where he issued his demands, publicly blamed the 49ers for, quote, unproductive talks about fairly adjusting Mostert's contract, which was based on special teams, unquote, which makes no sense to me because he asked for and then negotiated the deal. And it sure wasn't the contract of a special teamer. Well, Lynch said his reaction to the tweet was, quote, come on now, what the heck are you doing, unquote. Well, my reaction was similar, but there was a whole lot less heck. It's perfectly reasonable for Lynch, similar to any other NFL GM, to be what's a good G-rated way to describe it. Ticked off, maybe flustered, ruffled. And marginally off topic, I don't know about you, but I just love when Lynch goes into pocket protector mode during interviews or radio spots, like playing the role of the cool-headed, part general manager, part 
elder statesman. The guy's like a top hat and a monocle away from making the media and all of us forget that 10 years before taking the GM job with the Niners, he was one of the most violent hitters in the NFL who, if you were playing today, would absolutely personal foul his way to the locker room by the end of every first half of every game. I mean, we're talking about a guy who knocked his own brother-in-law out cold in a game and then told him, well, he really didn't hit him that hard. And now he's rated E for everyone. I just love this team and it's just jam packed full of characters and personalities. Anyway, Lynch was justified when the trait tweet grinded his gears because it did make the private negotiations public. He included a trade request the 49ers couldn't afford and definitely didn't expect. And Mostly because I think he was totally blindsided by the absurdity of it all because Tesla, after 20-some years on the job, wasn't playing by the rules. Still, like Mostert, the many hands within the 49ers front office aren't perfectly clean either. So, who should we blame for coming together in the spirit of manufacturing this near-emergency for the 49ers? Well, everyone, but certainly some more than others. Let's finish setting the record straight with the one and only player in NFL playoff history to rush for over 200 yards and four touchdowns in a single game. The man, the myth, and the newly certified assassin of all hopes and dreams within Green Bay, Wisconsin. Raheem Mostert. And to clear the record in advance, I'm not mad, buddy. I'm just disappointed. So, this portion of today's mailbag turned blame game. This was supposed to be a mailbag episode, right? May have to hold off on that for a day or two. So, 49ers podcast listeners, don't you worry especially my future best friend, Doodles from Maryland. We will get back to your questions. They will be answered. Because the mailbag episodes of this 49ers podcast cannot be stopped. We can only hope to contain them by letting me talk. Getting back to Mostert, his personal responsibility is a little bit harder to gauge because the... NFL super agent or NFL practice squad super agent, I can't remember his unofficial title, was certainly a driving force in these shenanigans. So Raheem, yes, we are first name basis. Maybe your agent took advantage of that growing chip on your shoulder and put a little more cash in his pocket. Or maybe you thought This is just the way things are done in the NFL. It's really impossible for us to know for sure, but we can make some educated guesses based on way, way, way too much research on my part. Mostert's first mistake was not having the back of his teammates or his family, as he calls them, and taking advantage of the franchise when it was most vulnerable 
after Coleman's 2020 guarantees kicked in earlier this year, after the Niners traded Breed away, after the draft, and during a time when McKinnon remains a giant question mark. So Asian influence or not, his trade request left his teammates and his team hanging when they were counting on him to lead the Niners backfield in 2020. So overall, not a good look. While it is the agent's job to immediately shut down any similar ideas, mistake number two was asking for a new contract when you just got a new contract. And especially when you passed on a one-year prove-it deal as an RFA, which is already worth more money than you'd seen in your entire career, and instead chose the security of a three-year deal worth nearly $3 million a season. You have two choices. Either bet on yourself or take the safer long-term deal because of your injury history or your failed off-season surgery or the security of your family or whatever reason you want. No one's going to judge you. But what you can't do is enjoy the safety, security, and signing bonus of option number two. And then after dream assassinating and staying healthy for the first time in your NFL career, pretend that you risked it all by bidding on yourself by going with option number one. That's why you sign a contract, and that's not the way the contracts work. So along with that, I guess we can also... Fault Mostert for sticking with his friendly neighborhood agent who he had clearly outgrown and failing to go with one of the big boys where, yes, you might not get the same level of personal attention, but in exchange for that, what you do get is a real agency housed in an actual office building filled with lawyers and secretaries and conference rooms and maybe even a fax machine, water cooler. But most importantly, what you get is experienced agents who are the best in the world at what they do. And that is make you the most amount of money while also preventing you from doing something stupid. So are you getting... Invited over for Thanksgiving dinner? No. But you are getting sound advice, top-tier negotiation skills, the in-person ones, not the ones on Twitter. And if you're really lucky, an agent who actually knows what positions you play. And thanks to the CBA, it all costs the same. If I were in Mozart's position... I would have made the change back in 2019, right after contract Twittergate 1.0, which, for those who don't remember, is when Tesla, less than 24 hours after Mostert was provided his tender offer of over $2 million, took to Twitter to announce that Mostert just accepted the offer. And then went right back on Twitter to say that he didn't. 
and instead would be testing the market for multi-year deals, specifically outside of San Francisco. Despite the Niners being the lone team who had stuck with him and the only place he had ever found any success. We are not making too much sense right now. A week later, Tesla's back to Twitter to announce that, quote, despite strong interest elsewhere. Okay, please pause the quote because at this point, all I can picture is the volcano salesman from Family Guy just banging away Twitter gibberish on his iPhone. Okay, back to the quote. Restricted free agent running back Raheem Mostert, who apparently no longer played kick returner in special teams like he did a week before, just agreed to a three-year deal with the San Francisco 49ers so he could finish building what he started. Somewhere within that week, probably after the we just signed the tender, JK, we didn't just sign the tender and we're looking for a multi-year deal but we don't want one here i think that would probably be the point where i would cut ties with my agent regardless of the friendship that we had established and opted for a little more legitimacy because i do love myself a thanksgiving dinner but business is business and Spoiler alert, if he's going to do it once, he'll do it again. That's really as far as I feel comfortable going with Mostert because the rest of his mistakes were contract-related or his contract compared to other contracts, and that's not his job or something he should be doing in his free time. Or, to put it another way, over the cap, should not be in his internet bookmarks. His job is football, not contracts. He hires an agent for that. Moving on to Lynchan and the 49ers front office, while it's clear that they did not directly create this fiasco, their series of mistakes did set the groundwork which enabled it to happen. I have three main issues with the franchise. And if they had not made just one of these three mistakes, then we would not be talking about this now. However, we should remember young GM, young head coach, they're going to make mistakes. Will they learn from them? That's always the question. Players can practice, but the front office, unfortunately... It's mostly OJT. In my other life, when somebody makes a training mistake that would end quite poorly for them if it happened in real life, instead of dwelling on the things the person did wrong, we try to turn that mistake into a teaching opportunity for us and a learning opportunity for the guy who hopefully has a really good life insurance policy. Thankfully for the Niners, the only thing that they really lost when Mostert's camp took them to the cleaners was a little bit of money and a little bit of respect, which is a manageable price to pay 
in exchange for three key learning opportunities. The first mistake, and the one that they're least likely to learn from, is the management of the Niners backfield. If I had to define the way Shanahan handles his running backs in just one word, that word would be confusing, which is entirely bad. Well, it wasn't entirely bad last year, and let's just leave it at that. Looking at the Niners' rushing attack and exactly how the team acquired their stable of running backs, most of whom were on the roster last year, during the team's top 10 rushing season, giving McKinnon one last final shot under a restructured contract. Now that's what we're looking for. And identifying Mostert's potential as a running back, even though that was way back in 2017, that's what the Shanahan family is really known for. As for Wilson, what is there to really say? And not just because of the junior on his jersey, but because he's really just a big touchdown scoring or fumbling practice squad piece who just so happens to run the hottest Texas route in the history of the league. Niners also have their annual obligatory UDFARB. And I think I'm going to put that on a t-shirt that nobody's going to buy. And he'll continue to fight for a spot on the roster of the practice squad. But the rest is a mess. I can sort of understand why Shanahan brought in Coleman, who was fantastic out of the backfield under Shanahan in 2016. Just like everybody else who played for Shanahan in 2016. I mean... Taylor Gabriel was like borderline elite. Well, it's to say. Atlanta's offense definitely suffered after Shinny's departure. And Coleman's been very take him or leave him ever since. Coleman's problem has always been his running game. And we're always waiting for it to bloom into that beautiful running back rose that it was intended to be. And I'm not talking about when Atlanta chose to spend an early third-round draft pick on the speedy running back. No, my friends, as usual, I'm talking about me. Because I've spent way too many mid-to-late-mid fantasy draft picks on this guy just waiting for his opportunity to flourish as the Falcons' lead running back. And while he certainly had that chance in 2018, the last year that I have or ever will make the mistake again, when a Devontae Freeman injury left him as the number one running back for Atlanta for the very first time in his four-year career. Well, Coleman didn't make the most of his opportunity. Not only was he bad on the ground, but he was actually somehow worse through the air. And before long, he was losing snaps to rookie Ido Smith. 2018 was also a contract year for Coleman. And 
the Falcons had no problem letting him walk once the season was over. Luckily for Coleman, in his corner, he had his old OC, Cheney, quickly coming to the rescue with a 49ers contract that was far from team-friendly and certainly not the one-year, three-mil-plus deal with a second-year option that the media sold us on from NFL Network to NFL.com to Kyle Posey to SportTrack to, well, if you happen to Google some combination of Tevin Coleman, 49ers, team-friendly contract, just please don't click on that first link. I think I was hacked something. Definitely don't remember. I think I'll just go with the shaggy defense. 2018 was Coleman's opportunity to prove his worth to the entire NFL. And he did so when he demonstrated that he couldn't handle a full-time role as a number one running back. And since, like you said, Shanahan doesn't really do bell cows, it put the Niners in a perfect position to hand Coleman a team-friendly deal worthy of a back who was going to share touches in a crowded backfield. But instead, San Francisco paid their number three running back as if he were a starter and then doubled down all season long by continuing to start him no matter how badly he got outplayed week after week, other than that one week, by Mostert and Brita. So, like I said, confusing. Even though the Niners backloaded Coleman's deal, the team still had a couple months after last season to get rid of him without taking a huge cap hit, but they passed on any potential chances to trade him away before his 2020 roster guarantee kicked in. San Francisco now had a problem. They were spending way too much of their cap at the running back position. And by too much, I'm talking like around $25 million. So around three times what an average NFL team spends on their running back core. So McKinnon takes his pay cut and we're down to 19 mil, but that's still too high. Still number one in the league and not where a team lacking a elite runner should be anywhere near. So what does Shani do? He takes off his trusty confusing backfield hat and puts on his bad decision hat. And along with Lynch, who also has the same hat, because, you know, the pair totally call each other each morning, making sure that their outfits are coordinated. That's like NFL front office 101. Well, the hats were in full force because the duo, in an effort to cut running back costs, trades away the wrong guy. The Niners' second best running back and the NFL's fastest player. And they toss him away for a third day draft pick. It's just simply a bad call on its face. And not only did Shanahan opt for the older, slower, more expensive 
less talented model. He also handed Mostert and his agent the leverage and the ammo that they needed to pull off their absurd trade demand. And then later they handed them all the money they would have saved by getting rid of a talented running back in Matt Breed in the first place. The Niners' contribution to this whole fiasco wasn't nefarious. It was simply a series of mistakes and bad calls made by a young front office duo who exceeded all expectations in year three, yet still has identifiable room to grow. Plus, you do have to give Lynch a hand cred for swallowing their pride and taking their lumps, which really must have stung given their level of competition, and finally giving in to the mustard camp in the end, because they had to. Also, the front office was smart enough to go the mostly incentive-based restructure route because this regime has been quite clear that they have no problem exchanging money for on-field production. The hope going forward is that Lynch and Shanahan can learn and progress throughout their OJT process. For example, Mustard may think of you as family, but that doesn't mean that a small-time agent won't break code and ruin relationships, particularly when a relatively nominal amount of money to you could be the amount of money that ends up making or breaking his entire year. So contrary to their adversaries, who they didn't know were adversaries, Lynch and Shanahan's actions certainly weren't deliberate. They're actually the opposite of deliberate, which is something Shanahan, always thinking one step ahead, it's plays on plays on plays, needs to use more of that same talent when he's off the field back at headquarters. Because when you're ignoring the little things, the small mistakes can quickly turn into big problems for the franchise. And that's a really easy fix for someone who already spends his Sundays one play ahead of the competition. And the Mostert contract restructure is full of those types of examples. Now, I wouldn't recommend gifting Mostert a starting gig by tossing his competition in the NFL recycling bin. But if you're going to do that, you best be talking to him about it first to make sure you're on the same page. That communication opportunity is invaluable because you might find out that the chip on his shoulder is about to spread to his brain, meaning you might just have to keep Breeder around and maybe even start him in week one just in order to keep Mostert in his lane, concerned and hungry for playing time, not more money. The 49ers' final mistake was allowing Tesla to set the narrative and then own it because the Niners never even participated in the PR battle. Instead, they let Tesla, who's had a complex relationship with the truth, create his own reality with an extremely slanted version of events and then sell it to the media who repeated it over and over and over until it basically became the truth. 
Tesla's strategy was to focus on Mostert being the victim due to the 49ers' evil negotiating ways. Because in Tesla's world, which if you listen to our past couple of podcasts, is absolutely nothing like 49er land or NFL land, let me tell you. The 49ers front office tricked Mostert last season and forced him to sign a contract specifically for his special teamwork and then pull one over on him and turn him into a running back and specifically a underpaid running back who single-handedly carried the 49ers to the Super Bowl despite playing on a special team salary. And now, Mustard wasn't being greedy. The heroic victim just wanted to be treated fairly. And the only way in the world that he could be treated fairly is to make the same amount of base salary as Tevin Coleman was going to make in 2020. Hey man, don't look at me. I didn't come up with it. Even if I had, I sure wouldn't admit it. My assumption is he just pulled up both of the contracts on his computer and looked for the biggest discrepancy in one of the various components of an NFL contract and found the largest discrepancy and just rolled with it. It made so little sense. I can't imagine that there was a lot of thought process that went into it. And maybe it was just a spur-of-the-moment decision that he thought would be a quick talking point, but the media grabbed and kept on publishing it. Although it worked out extremely well as a PR plan, there's no way that that could have been his master plan for negotiation because he had to know that one day you would have to sit down in a conference room across from Lynch if Lynch would allow him to do so and explain himself because Tesla's omissions were not accidental. However, they were extremely transparent. For example, why did Tesla focus solely on one fraction of Coleman and Mostert's contracts? Just the base salary. Well, that's easy because Coleman's salary was only one and a half million in 2019. And the majority of it, four and a half million, was pushed back to 2020. And why no talk about signing bonus? Well, because Coleman never got one. In the end, Tesla just picked and chose whatever numbers he felt like choosing. And somehow, no one ever called him out on it. Tesla wasn't just able to say that tweet that with a straight face he successfully sold it first to the media and then to the public and with no response from the Niners front office the fans bought into it hashtags and all and instead of actually researching the topic the media just kept on repeating it there are probably a hundred articles out there that say the exact same thing in like the exact same format most requests a trade because the Niners own the Justice contract. There's a 
quote or a tweet from Tesla talking about how Mostert's the victim, just wants to be treated fairly. Got to throw in a couple stats, and two of those stats will be that Mostert led the team in rushing last year, and Mostert is a record-breaking Packer playoff assassin. Then the author finishes it off by saying Mostert just wants to be paid as much as Coleman's getting paid. And in 2020, Coleman's base salary is $4.5 million, and Mostert is a meager $2.6 million. So the Niners have to find a way to make up the difference. Go ahead and check the internet for any large news outlet that covers the Niners, and you will find that article. And after reading that article, which might as well have been written by Tesla, Mostert does look like the victim. And the Niners do look like the bad guy. Fortunately, we do not live in Tesla's world. A world filled with self-serving myths and conjecture and absurd one-sided arguments and basically propaganda. We already live in a world like that. We definitely do not need another one. And while I've already just blown up this podcast, I still do not have time to go over every misstatement or important fact that was intentionally ignored. But you know me, I need to at least point out a couple, especially because somehow no one else has. Most of the, I don't want to call them lies, we'll call them attempts to reframe who Mostert is as a football player. And this constant reframing is focused on whether Mostert is a special teamer or a running back. And barring any research, it really is a legitimate question because Mostert's always been a guy who doesn't really have a position, even back in college, where he was primarily a wide receiver and a kick returner. So he spent much of his NFL career without a true position. If you go through Tesla's timeline, you'll notice that he views Mostert as more of a special teamer than he does a running back. The only time he calls him a running back is when he's looking for more money. And even then, he doesn't speak highly of him as a running back. He talks about him as being like a number two to number four, except the one time that he knew he had to really up his game and claimed that Mostert was leading the 49ers to the Super Bowl. Otherwise, from his tweets and public statements, it's obvious that he thinks of Mostert as a special teamer first, and usually the best special teamer in the league. And even in Niners circles, Mostert's been thought of as a special teams ace solely based on the 11 games he played on special teams during the 2017 season. But if you can take yourself back to the lead-up to the 2017 season, when the new regime arrives, Mostert was on the outside looking in, but then ended up playing his way onto the roster as the Niners' third running back, after blowing it up in the preseason on offense, and particularly in the team's 
annual dress rehearsal game in week three of the preseason where he was practically unstoppable. Once the season began, Mostert really only got a few touches in the backfield over the course of the year, but he really shined on special teams at the gunner position. Unfortunately, after a borderline elite 11 games on special teams, his season ended early due to a pair of injuries, which forced him onto IR. So when 2018 begins, Shaney's all in on Mostert, who's shown that he can have a role in the backfield and on special teams. Even on the Niners' website, Mostert's listed as the team's number three running back, with another three runners behind him on the team's unofficial depth chart. He obviously makes the squad, but since Mostert's recovering from injury, Shani eases him into action over the first month before flipping the switch in week five, initiating the Niners' backfield into a three-headed Brita Mostert Morris rushing attack. From week five on, there was no question that Mostert was a better running back than he was a gunner because he really dropped off from his special teams work the previous year. And for reference, when I say drop off, PFF ranked him as the best special teamer in the league in 2017, if he just had the snaps to qualify. In 2018, he ranked 336th. You could objectively call Mostert a special teams ace in 2017. He's a top 10 guy, easily, probably top 5, maybe even higher. My guess is he would seriously be in the all-pro conversation if he had played a full season. And while I know this isn't something that Niner fans really want to hear, but that was the only year he's been anywhere close to elite on special teams. The rest of his career, he's been more serviceable, or maybe pretty good because we like him and we're being nice and it really depends on what you're looking for and what you're expecting of him as a coordinator what your team's style of play is how disciplined you want certain players to be my guess is if you polled all of the nfl's special teams coordinators you get more above average answers than below average answers but you would get no elite answers. No one was reporting on it because no one on the 49ers staff really cared about Mostert's significant drop-off because from week five on, Mostert was much more running back than he was special teamer. He spent more time on the field as a running back on offense than he did on special teams. During that time, Mostert led the Niners in rushing yards in three of the five games he played, thanks to a college-esque 7.7 yards a carry, until he was unfortunately sent back to IR after breaking his arm in the most gruesome of fashions. Please don't look it up on YouTube. And that play was on a running play when he was playing running back on offense, and that's not surprising. 
because he played a whole lot of running back in 2018, almost as much as he did last year. So from week five on, 2018 special teamer Mostert's offensive snaps rivaled 2019 running back Mostert's offensive snaps. In fact, the difference was less than five snaps a game, which is less than an average NFL drive. That's it. So when Tesla complains that Mostert was playing on a special teams contract, which Tesla negotiated after the 2018 season, I'd have two questions for him. The first one is, why on earth would you negotiate a special teams contract for the 336th best special teamer when your client is really a running back and a pretty good one and is getting more snaps on offense than he is on special teams? Related to that, my second question would be, what is a special teams contract? Because there is no such thing. And in reality, I'd have a whole lot of questions. One would be, how much do you think an average special teamer makes? Because the answer is, as little as possible, and often the minimum that you can pay a player under the CBA. And that player is usually some sort of backup playing on a rookie contract and or a player who's going to spend some time either on the street or on your practice squad. And even if you're one of the few teams that carries special teamers on the roster and you've kept them on there for years, more often than not, he's still hovering around the vet minimum. So in essence, this special teams contract or contract based on special teams is whatever the GM can get away with per the CBA. And even in Tesla world, you can't pretend that it's $3 million a year. So for argument's sake, say Tesla claims that Mostert is a special teams ace, even though it's not really a thing that teams do anymore. And definitely not something that teams do with a player who ranks anywhere between 336th to 235th in 2019. But say we move Mostert's special team ranking over a couple decimal points, and he's a top five guy, like a real special teams ace, an all-pro caliber special teamer who is valuable enough to waste a roster spot just for what he does on special teams. How much does that player make? I'll give you a hint. It ain't $3 million a year. Let's go ahead and take a look at some of these all-pro special team contracts. First off, we'll have 2019 all-pro special teamer JT Gray, who is also number one in PFF's rankings. Now, he plays for the Saints, who are one of the few remaining teams who use a specialized special teams unit comprised of maybe nine or ten players who rarely see the field outside on kicks and punts. If you give any NFL team a 
top two kicker in Lutz, who's elite on both field goals and on kickoffs. Morstead, who may be the NFL's best punter over the course of his career. A top five kick returner and punt returner in Harris. And a long snapper whose name I don't know because I'm not crazy. With that alone, you should be crushing all of your competition. Add in a unit of exclusive special teamers, and you're spending a quarter of your active roster on the third phase. Plus, and probably most importantly, your special teams unit is led by the New Orleans Saints football player. You know, Taysom Hill. And you've essentially achieved special teams nirvana. And I have my second t-shirt idea of the pod. Well, the 2018 Saints still found a way to mess it all up. Which is sort of par for the course for Sean Payton, who continues his mission to be the NFL's best and the NFL's worst head coach, both at the same time. So, changes were made, beginning with a new coordinator. Then the Saints cut Taysom's special team snaps so he could focus on being just as bad on offense as he was on special teams. Hold on, did I just say Taysom is bad on special teams? That must be all the Diet Coke talking. But just to be safe before we apologize, let's check out what PFF has to say. Okay, in the special teams section... Where is this guy? No, there's no Swiss army knife drop down, so it's not that. This page, page. Oh, there he is. He's hiding behind Ross Dwelly, and he's ranked. Well, that can't be right. Okay, hold on. I got to go to the safe and grab my Lynch commemorative monocle. All right, I'm definitely feeling more distinguished, but... I guess these numbers are legit. So the Saints special team ace isn't ranked number three, or even number 53. He's ranked number 353 out of the 711 players who played a decent amount of snaps on special teams. I'm pretty sure that kicks him out of the special teams ace conversation. Actually, 350... Actually, 353 out of 711, that's a little bit under 50%, 49.5. There are 13 cards per suit, so that puts them around 6.4 out of 13. So if the ace is high, the sixth lowest card, or the first card under the average, is Taysom's number, 7. And just like that, I have my third t-shirt idea of the pod. Taysom isn't the Saints special teams ace. He's the Saints special teams seven of clubs. And 
we can go ahead and morph the club and like the scene's logo. And I'm going to be rich. All right, Taysom, enough making fun of you today. It's just been a little while and I've been itching to do so. But now that I got my fix, it's a good thing the Saints gave Gray a shot in 2019 because it definitely paid dividends. The backup, backup, backup safety, maybe, led the NFL in special teams tackles, ranked number one among all PFF special teamers, and helped catapult the Saints unit back into the top five unit it used to be. And all that for just $500,000. And Gray reaped the benefits as well by signing a one-year extension immediately after the Super Bowl. And I mean like within like a week of the Super Bowl. And he signed a contract for three minutes. No, I'm just kidding. The CBA minimum of 750 grand. Because that's what special teamers make, even if you're an all-pro. To prove that Gray's situation was no anomaly, let's quickly switch gears to a special teams ace who's also a skilled defender. 2018 all-pro special teamer Adrian Phillips, who, along with earning special teams honors, also one of the Chargers' key defenders in 2018. Phillips was the glue that held the Chargers' secondary together, and he was the player that allowed Gus Bradley to run his preferred defensive scheme. So what kind of base salary are we talking about for a all-pro special teamer who's also an extremely important defender? and a menace no matter where he lines up. In the deep third, at cornerback, and in the box, on both early and late downs. Well, the Chargers began with the CBA minimum, and then kicked in an extra 13 grand a game. In exchange for Phillips playing a integral role on defense, and two-thirds of the Chargers' defensive snaps, and I think we're quickly learning why Tesler kept knowingly and falsely referring to Mostert's contract as a special teams contract. Because that's pretty much like the worst thing you can say about a deal. Like contract fighting words. So finally, and I do mean finally, because surprisingly this is the abridged version of all the many things I want to say. So let's cap it off with the best special teamer of at least this century, Matt Slater, who's held the role of Patriots special teams captain for the last 10 years and for a very good reason. In 173 NFL games, Slater has a total of two rushing attempts, and one reception. And apparently he's a wide receiver. Otherwise, he has approximately 3,000 special team snaps. Outside of very, very rare circumstances, Matt Slater exclusively 
plays on special teams. And he does it better than anybody else in the game. He holds the NFL record with seven straight Pro Bowl nods and was selected as an All-Pro six out of the last nine giggity years. The guy can do it all. He's even a top-tier performer at the fine art of winning coin tosses in the playoffs. And he has no problem sharing his big secret, which is always calling heads. If you made an NFL contract Venn diagram, because you love Venn diagrams because they're awesome, you'd find Slater right in the middle of the special team circle. And if your Venn diagram was 3D in nature, then kudos to you. And Slater would be at the very top, thanks to a Patriots front office that regularly overpays for their third-phase players, and because Slater is the best at what he does. Although, throughout his career, each of Slater's contracts clearly, quote, paid him for special teams. Slater isn't really the best example to show here because he's a future special teams Hall of Famer. So it's like the agent of O.J. Howard or maybe Ricky Seals-Jones comparing their client's salary to that of future first ballot Hall of Famer George Kettle because, you know, they... Both get paid tight end salaries. Look, we are same, albeit at drastically different levels. So if Tesla ever made it into Lynch's office, either Mission Impossible style or by invitation, this should, in theory, have been the best example of how Mostert was wronged by being underpaid as a special teamer. Unfortunately for Tesla, and adding even more illegitimacy to his argument, the two players' contract history tells a different story. That Mostert's former contract, which he was willing to leave the team for, dwarfs every deal that Slater, who's likely the best special teamer you've ever seen play the game, ever made. Simply look at his all-pro seasons, of which there are many. In 2011, 12, and 17, Slater made the CBA's P5 minimum. In 2014, 16, and 19, Slater pulled in the vet minimum, plus a total of 1.1 million combined over those three years, most of which coming last year. Slater has never had a $3 million per season deal, even including all the potential bonuses and incentives that Tesla intentionally left out. The top base salary in Slater's entire career was last year, $1.6 million, and his career-based salary average is under 900 grand for the best 
special teamer in the NFL year after year after year. So, Tesla, please stop insulting our intelligence. You did not acquire a contract for Mostert based on his special teams work. You knew that he was going to be a significant part of the 49ers offense. You knew that he made the team the previous year based on his running back work. You knew that he was going to get the carries if he continued to produce the way he did in 2018. We know that you did not trust Mostert to perform. We don't blame you for this because Mostert had a limited track record and was having an extremely difficult time recovering from his 2018 arm injury. And no one would fault you for advising your client to take the burden hand, especially when we're talking about a player with an extensive injury history and an ongoing injury problem. So we don't expect you to say so, but everybody knows the truth. The 2019 deal that you negotiated for Mustard had nothing to do with special teams. It had everything to do, and you likely had your reasons, with not forcing your client to prove his worth in 2019. Luckily for your client, the team, and the fans, he did prove his worth last year, but that doesn't mean you get a do-over. So on behalf of Niner fans everywhere, your client is now one of our guys. So please... Don't tarnish his image any more than you already have. So that officially concludes my hour-plus-long monologue on the Raheem Mostert sitch. And yes, that was actually the Cliff Notes version. And although my voice is running on low battery mode... I believe we have a mailbag episode to record. So while I go replenish my now empty stash of waters and Coke Zeros, hear the words you've been patiently waiting for. Take us out, buddy. All right. Well, as always, thanks for listening to the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Please check us out on your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a nice review and hit that subscribe button. Share the podcast with your 49er fan friends. Stay safe out there, everyone, and we will see you next time, Niner fans. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.